Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader Podcast is Casey Jorgensen. Casey is the founder and CEO of St. Jane, a luxury beauty products company based in Los Angeles. Casey, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Darren. So happy to be here. So take me back. Obviously, you've got a varied background working for places like Sephora, working at CNN. But how did you get into entrepreneurship? What sparked that idea? Yeah. So my background starting in the area of news, I was a producer for CNN and left New York and decided that I wanted to go into the wine business and ended up on the marketing team for a big wine company doing innovation. And they tasked me with creating new wine brands that would appeal to younger consumers. So I came up with a brand that has ended up, you know, kind of going on to do very, very well. It's called Cupcake Vineyards and got the bug for creating concepts and brands that would resonate with with people and make people feel something. And so I went to business school. I left business school, went into the beauty space, decided to work at Sephora, creating brands there, and just loved the world of creating brands and creating products that would resonate. And in 2018, when I discovered CBD, I realized that it was one of the most exciting skincare ingredients of our time. And entrepreneurship, while I had sort of considered it over the years, never felt like such a clear idea as when I discovered that molecule and realized that it would be very different and very breakthrough in the world of skincare, the very saturated world of skincare. And it was. We launched in 2019. And it was a really fun, exciting launch. And it's been a fun, exciting three years. Yeah, it sounds so simple and so quick when you say that. Just, you know, 2019, fast forward three years, you're up and running, you're in places like Sephora and others. And, but take me back a little bit in terms of just even getting into the beauty industry. Like, what sparked that? Like, what prompted that desire? I don't know, something you may not know about me. Actually, was a summer intern during business school at Neutrogena. So I worked in product marketing and the facial cleansing group. And so studied, you know, how people actually got into, into the beauty care space. So definitely, have more or more knowledge than uh, you might think in terms of that area. But just curious how you got into that space. Well, you're, you're an expert. And the way Neutrogena probably approaches creating new products is different than the startups and the world of indie brands that I live in. But I always had had this passion for beauty. I think it came from my mom and my grandmother. They were beauty junkies. And my grandmother, you know, she died when she was 84 and her skin was perfect. She loved products. Her vanity was filled with hundreds of different skincare creams and makeup. And I think I just, I was around it a lot. And I knew very early on that I really loved the category. When I was in my 20s and living in New York, all my friends would call me Ask Allure because I had an answer to every single beauty hack that was out there. Somebody needed hair advice or skin advice or acne advice or you know how to put on your eyeliner. And I was always the one that people went to. And I think I just, I was really interested in the space because 
it was like a playground for grownups. I would go into Sephora's. The first Sephora in the US was in Soho and I lived nearby in New York. And I would go in there and it was like Disneyland. It was, you could test so many different products and try so many different formulas and you could reinvent yourself. And there was something really just sort of emotionally satisfying about the category for me personally. And so when I was in business school and trying to figure out, do I go back into wine or do do I go into CPG? Do I work for Neutrogena? You know that, where do I go? I felt really confident that Sephora was where I wanted to cut my teeth in the beauty industry. And I did. I really got a PhD in beauty and understanding product development and formulas and how what you create has to resonate with your clients and really work. And so I was able very fortuitously to get an internship while I was in business school. So my summer internship was at Sephora. They didn't have an MBA program for interns. So I agreed to work for free in exchange for makeup. Literally, it was three months of working for free in the color department at Sephora, had an incredible team that I worked for. And when I graduated, there was a job for me with this new team that had been formed called Kendo. And Kendo's mission was to create all of the exclusive brands for Sephora. So Marc Jacobs, Elizabeth and James, Kat Von D, Fenty is one of their brands, Sephora by OPI, Disney. And my role was to imagine how these brands would live in the world of beauty. And I loved it. Yeah, take me through that. I think that's interesting that what really stood out in terms of your background, in terms of just being a, a brand builder. So like, how do you go about thinking about how you might create a, a line of beauty products for the likes of Disney or other brands like that? So much of branding is emotional. And my favorite quote as it relates to branding is actually Maya Angelou's quote. It's not what you say, but it's how you make people feel. And I think that is the core of creating brands that are resonant. So for Disney, for example, we were creating a line of princess collections, capsule collections, one every quarter for a year. And we started with Cinderella. And that was one of the most fun projects I worked on because I had been a huge fan of the princesses since I was a little girl. And so the idea of reimagining Cinderella as our first princess in the world of grownups was truly magical. So my vision was, let's approach this as if Cinderella is now in her 20s and you're sitting at a wine bar with her and you're having a chat about who she is, what she's gone through, you know, her you know, problems with her stepmother. And so we started from a place of, We wanted it to look luxury. We wanted it to feel magical. We wanted it to feel like it was true to the Disney property. But this layer of emotion where the women that we felt we were going to be targeting in Sephora connected with that property in a fresh and innovative way was the mission. And so we put these quotes all throughout the products that were these little moments of discovery and delight. And they really elevated the Disney princess collection. And I had to fight for the vision for this collection. You know, initially, a lot of the folks at Sephora were sort of like, oh, this feels like makeup for kids. And how are we going to, this isn't going to work. And we pushed the boulder up the hill and convinced the team that this was a big idea. And it sold out in two weeks. It ended up being huge. So we did subsequently the three additional princesses. You know, we did Jasmine and Ariel. And who was the other one? I have to remember. And it was just incredible. And it was another example of when you have passion, when you can articulate emotion and you can connect with people in a new, fresh way, you have an idea on your hands. Yeah, it's really interesting. The idea of just how you make people feel, obviously, from a brand marketer's perspective or perhaps a former brand marketer's perspective, I I get that. But 
But I think that's interesting if you think about through the lens of customer experience. But how did you go about connecting the feeling to actually the product and just more the operational side of the business? I think packaging is not to be underestimated. I learned that in the wine space where, you know, you walk down the wine aisle, there's 5,000 labels to choose from. And what you're delivering to the consumer has to be communicated in a little tiny three by five label. You have like a half a second to communicate it. So I think that the packaging has to be instantly connected for people and instantly emotional. And so we started with this beautiful, in Disney in particular, we started with this beautiful packaging and then we layered in these moments of delight. Obviously, the formulas were incredible. The capsule collection hit on categories that we thought were interesting for the for the consumer. But I think that the the little moments of delight in those quotes were really different at the time and really did a good job of connecting with the client and sort of elevating the whole emotional experience almost instantly out of the gate. And so we were able to promote that with the people in the Sephora stores who were selling the products. We were able to communicate those little moments of delight, you know, obviously through the packaging, but then in all of our marketing materials and the promotional videos we did. And it became less about having to think about what you were experiencing with this capsule collection and instantly feeling it. It just hit you before you had time to actually cognitively process it. And I think there's a lot to that. It's, you know, same approach that we've taken in the wine space. It's the same approach that I've taken with St. Jane. The packaging and that instant impression is so important in communicating who you are, what you stand for, what you believe in, what your mission is, and, you know, why someone should care. Yeah, I definitely thought about that when I was working on my book, The Savage Leader, and like, what would be a really striking image for the cover. And I give all the credit to my wife. So I was thinking about this concept of caveman art meets Lord of the Flies. And she goes, Darren, of course, it's the lion. You always talk about this darn lion. So put the lion on the cover. So, but I think about that in terms of the impression that people make, the feeling that they get, and just to have the the confidence and desire to actually take that next step in terms of taking action. Mm -hmm. And you have to go deep in yourself to figure out how are you going to communicate that? You don't have a lot of levers to pull and you don't have a lot of time to do it. So you really have to find some quietude and really connect in with your visual communication and make sure that every single element of it is thoughtful and carefully put out there because you just, you don't have a lot of time. You talk about your entry into entrepreneurship and something I take from our last conversation, which is another person in your family who sparked that entrepreneurial journey. Do you mind talking a bit about your great grandmother? Yes. So my great grandmother was a total badass. I love her story. I never met her. She passed away before I was born, but she was a legend in our family. So her name was Teresa Franzia and she was a mail order bride from Italy in 1900. She came over sight unseen, married my great grandfather, Giuseppe, got off the boat. It was actually her friend who was supposed to come and her friend chickened out. And so she's like, I'll go, I'll go marry this guy. I didn't know him in San Francisco. They went out to the San Joaquin Valley where they ended up having seven kids and they grew grapes and they made wine. And while she had five boys and two daughters and during the depression and the prohibition, her husband went to Italy. She went to bank of America in San Francisco. She walked in and said, I need a $10,000 loan. This is while her husband was away in 1933 and it bank of Italy, which is now bank of America. AP Giannini said, okay, what's your collateral? She said, I'll bet the farm. And he gave her the loan for $10,000 and she gave $5,000 to her sons, the Franzia brothers to start Franzia and $5,000 to her son-in-law who was Ernest Gallo to start Gallo. So this four foot 10 mail order bride from Italy in the depression and the prohibition ended up starting two of the largest wine companies 
in the country. And it was just this really incredibly motivating, inspiring story for me ever since I was a little girl. And while I never knew her, it kind of was always in the back of my mind, like, how, how does this fit into my world? And she just stuck with me. I ended up writing about her in my essay for Stanford, you know, what matters most to me and why. And she's a big part of my drive to create a company and be an entrepreneur myself. I think it's sort of in my history and in my family since 1900. And I'm really proud of what she did. That must not have been easy. It must have been terrifying. And yet she did it. She was pretty fearless. What an inspiring point. I mean, just imagine you just facing up to fear and starting your own company and just thinking about great grandmother because $10,000, that was a ton of money back then, betting the farm, betting their future livelihood. I mean, what a what a big risk. I mean, it, it sounds, oh, well, just Franzi and Gallo, you mentioned their last names, like no big deal, but gosh, just putting yourself in her shoes is like terrifying, just, but what a big bet. Huge bet at a time when the economy was terrible, depression was still in raging and the prohibition was not clear yet. But she saw the vision and she had her sons who were committed, her son-in-law who was committed, and she believed in them and she believed in herself and she believed in their capabilities to actually build this. And it's interesting because the companies have gone two different directions since then, where the Franzi brothers sold in the 60s to Coca-Cola, which is a whole other story. The Gallows have kept the company in the family. Both paths are very interesting. And I think she would be really happy with the outcomes for both. That's really cool. Do you ever ask yourself, what would great grandma do in this situation? <laughs> you know, she, I think what I also relate to her the most on is she was so committed to family and she would host these big events for all the Italians in the area and she would cook. And, you know, she was just this, the heart of the community and the heart of her own family. She had a giant family, lots of kids. And so I really, I relate to her on so many levels a motherhood perspective too. And just somebody who just was so committed in everything that she did and obviously imprinted significantly on everyone around her enough so that she could walk into the bank of Italy and have all of these endorsements from the community to APG and to say, go out and give her this loan. This She's good for it. And I think that that's meaningful. You know, so much of what we do in life is all about how we imprint on other people and the legacy that we leave and how we lift everybody around us up. And so I love that about her too, that that was part of her story and part of her, her legacy. Yeah, that's really neat and so inspiring. Once again, gets back to that quote about how you make people feel. Yeah, it's all about that. You know, you start from a place of harmony first and figure out how you connect. And I think you can go really far. You can build your network. You know, people feel like you care and you really do. You know, the, the sky's the limit. So let's switch gears a little bit. Tell me about the St. Jane story. Like, how did that whole brand, how did that name come to fruition? Well, interesting. Like I said, I toyed with the idea of creating my own brand, but I'd been really hesitant. So many people along the way were like, you should create your own brand. You've done so many for other people. Why are you not a founder? And I felt very hesitant to be a founder because I knew what it would take in terms of commitment away from my family. And my three girls and my husband are everything. And I wasn't ready to take the leap. But I toyed with it. And I it was in the back of my mind. When I discovered CBD, it felt like the clearest idea for a brand I'd ever had. It happened very fast, where I read this article and the headline of the article was CBD is nature's Xanax meets Advil. It was a pop sugar article. And I thought, okay, what is this? A natural, you know, alternative to pain and anxiety management. I need to go very deep on this very quickly. And so I did. I went into a dispensary in San Francisco. I'd never been into one. 
that was a whole other experience. And I asked the bud tender to tell me all about CBD and why I needed it in my life. And I said, I'm not that interested in THC yet. I'm not someone who uses THC. That has since changed, which we can talk about. And I have a completely different philosophy on it than I did when I first started. But the bud tender showed me all of these CBD products and they looked very crunchy, very hippie, you know, looked great for whole foods, but not necessarily a fit for a Sephora. And next to all of these sort of crunchy hippie products was a list of all the benefits of CBD. And it was gut health, anxiety, sleep, pain, depression, immunity boosting. And I thought, okay, if CBD does even one of these things, it is the most exciting ingredient of our time. And what can it do topically? If it's truly this anti-inflammatory powerhouse, what can it do for skin? So I started playing with it. And I told you this story when we talked before, but it was not clear in terms of the farm bill. It was legally still very much a gray area. California had legalized cannabis very broadly, but in terms of national, the farm bill had not passed yet. And the farm bill is what's opened up hemp specifically for people to work with. And so I was getting these packages of white powder delivered to my house. And I'd have to say to my kids, like, stay out of mommy's office while I figure out what this is. And that was a very weird place to be. And all the vendors that I had worked with at Sephora were like, you know, Casey, so great to hear from you. Love what you're doing, but we can't work with you because CBD is not there yet legally. And I kept going and I found vendors who would work with me and who believed in it. And we ended up coming up with the brand was very clear almost instantly out of the gate, what we wanted to name it, how we wanted it to look. I have an incredible design partner who I've worked with for 13 years and we came up with all the packaging and it was an exciting time. And then the retailers, I met with them before we even launched and the commitments, the instant commitments were both super exciting and super terrifying because I thought I was just getting feedback and retailers were like, when can we launch this? So it all crystallized pretty quickly. It was the clearest idea for a brand I'd ever had. St. Jane, you asked about the name. St. Jane has sort of two meanings. And the first was the innocent side of Mary Jane, where CBD is such an incredible vitamin for the skin. And we wanted to reimagine that narrative and reframe the CBD molecule for people. Because a lot of people still, even to this day, don't know what it is or what it does. And the second is St. Jane was an actual saint who dedicated her life to healing women in the 1500s in France. And she dedicated her life to healing women that society shunned. So the very old, the very sick, unwed mothers. And I thought, okay, well, this is very meaningful. We're creating a very healing-centric approach to skincare. And so her muse in the brand has always been, you know, very much a part of, you know, the products that we create, the formulas we put out there and our messaging. And so the name and the brand and the products and the formulas, they came together very quickly. And next thing we knew, we were launching on St. Jane's birthday, January 28th, 2019. Tell me a little bit more in terms of some of those, just the early adventures. I know you you mentioned just before you were even a brand, before you even had, I think, less than 100 followers on Instagram and you were suddenly in Sephora. Like, How did you go about getting into that store and starting to launch your brand? It was a beautiful confluence of events, I think. I think it was... I had some relationship with Sephora because of my time there, but not really in the skincare category, more on the on the color side. And then obviously Kendo, where I had worked, the team that I had worked on. So it was a little bit of a new frontier going into a new category there. But also the CBD space, was, we hit it at just the right time. It was when 
editors and retailers were first discovering the molecule and California had just legalized, like I said, and everybody was really passionate about what CBD could do for skin and for your endocannabinoid system in terms of balance and making sure that your system is kind of in its homeostasis. And people were starting to understand a little bit more and lean into the category. And that for us, worked in our in our favor when we launched there were some brands that had already launched but not much before us and we looked so different i think than any other brand out there we were so luxury and clean and we had cbd that we had three kind of different legs to the stool that and to our positioning that set us apart and i think it got the attention of retailers and the industry in a way that i've not seen happen with a brand frankly in the wine space or the beauty space, we were just tiny. Like you said, we had a hundred followers. We hadn't even really launched yet. And yet we were able to capture some of the momentum that was happening in the space and also look very differentiated. And I think that worked to our advantage. What were those three legs of the stool in terms of that brand positioning? I think it was luxury, clean and CBD at the time. I think we, you know, the clean space doesn't have a lot of brands that look like us. We're ultra, ultra luxe. And CBD, certainly in CBD, no brands looked like us. So the sort of trilogy of those three things, I think, helped to put us on the map. Yeah, it's definitely really unexpected. I mean, I think about just you as a brand, right? I mean, I remember seeing some early posts. Here's Casey launching a you know CBD or people's perception marijuana company. And, you know, my knowing you back in the San Francisco days is squeaky clean. Just it was a little bit of a juxtaposition of, of something new or something old. So just... Tell me more about how you manage the the perceptions, the expectations, both as you as a founder and CEO, but also as the brand. I've always been a bit of a rebel, but it's funny because I was the rebel who got straight A's or I was the one in detention for being out of uniform, but still was like, you know, the teachers loved me. And so I've always had this streak to me where I loved disruption and I thought, I also have a justice gene and I thought, okay, this molecule, it's like I said, it's such a vitamin and it's so misunderstood and it can do so much good for so many people that this is a territory. It felt a lot like wine during the prohibition, to be honest. And I think that's where my inspiration for my grandmother also played a role. It felt like the wild west. And I had a responsibility to responsibly architect the narrative of this molecule because I had a voice and I had a platform and I think people were listening and I think we still have so much work to do. There was a, an ABC study that just came out that said something like two thirds of moms still think that CBD is related to getting high and like, Oh, we still have so much work to do three years in. I think because at the time I was able to really separate it from THC, that it was from the hemp plant versus the THC rich cannabis plant. Hemp is naturally very low in THC. I felt like there was something there that needed to be more understood. And so I was willing to champion it and put myself out there. And I think that was part of also why the brand was resonant in the beginning was that it it was, I was sort of the unexpected cannabis founder. And I love that. And I, I still really passionate, but I very passionately believe about the benefits of CBD. I think that where the industry has gone is challenging because there's still so many headwinds in, in advertising and regulatory and payment processing. And there's still some CBD hesitancy in certain geographies in the US. So it's been a challenging category to put a stake in the ground on as a founder, but I believe in it. And I believe that eventually most 
skincare formulators will turn to CBD as the most powerful anti-inflammatory ingredient in skincare. Uh, we just have some more, we have some more boulders to push up the hill. Yeah, I might suggest rebellious as a fourth leg of that stool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think, you know, I teased this a little bit earlier too. My thoughts on THC are very different now as well. I think THC is so incredible for women specifically. I think that it is incredible for pain. It's incredible for sleep. It is so much more, you know, sort of potent and safe than prescription medications, which so many people lean on to, you know, sleep or function. And, you know, it's impossible to overdose from impossible. Scientists have tried. And I think it's something like you'd have to take a thousand, you have to smoke like a thousand joints in an hour to even get close. And again, like another territory that's very, very misunderstood. And I feel a responsibility there too, where I was very kind of, I wouldn't say I was judgy on the category, but I was definitely, I was not a consumer. And I was like, no, no, not for me. And I've become more knowledgeable about just how I think important THC could be to people going forward in terms of balancing some of their deficiencies. How do you go about communicating just in terms of the benefits and the perception, the two thirds of moms who think that CBD gets you high? So I think that's relevant to any company, any industry communicating and moving into a new territory that's not just not that's new and different. So like, how do you go about managing that from a, a brand perception perspective, from a brand messaging perspective? Yeah, I think that it's more than one brand can do. I mean, we're a tiny, self-funded, bootstrapped, cult, indie skincare brand. It's tough for us. I think we're going to have to have some support on the FDA level at some point. And I think once there, there's more clarity around the molecule from the FDA, I think that that will help. But it's just going to take time. I think any ingredient, either you know a supplement or a skincare ingredient, it takes time to kind of normalize and, and make more understood. I mean, I think about some of the other powerhouse ingredients in skincare and some of these you may have heard of and some of them you may not. Vitamin C certainly is a big one. Took time to build that category. Hyaluronic acid, niacinamide, ceramides, retinol, you know, these ingredients, they take time to actually imprint on people and education. And so that's where we're at with CBD. It's going to take time. But ultimately, I think the cat's out of the bag and there are so many women and men out there and children that CBD has helped that there's no going back at this point. I think people realize that it's a good for you ingredient. It's a better for you ingredient. It's an incredible alternative to prescription medications and you know things that there's a lot of research around CBD and opioid addiction and helping on that front. And so ultimately we will get there. It's just going to take education and time and consistency and companies like ours who are committed to responsibly architecting the narrative and not greenwashing, not putting, you know, cannabis plants on there just to try to, you know, look edgy. Yeah, so how do you blend or spend your time in terms of just focusing on building the brand and any kind of advocacy work? Are you guys out there in terms of trying to influence some of the, you know, getting FDA approval or, or just like, how do you guys spend your time in that area, if at all? We do. I'm always having conversations and trying to do more education and advocacy. We are also 
a bit constrained because we're a little company and we're trying to build the company in the skincare space. And I think, you know, CBD, given where we're at with the regulations and the education, it's going to require a lot more muscle than my tiny company has in the greater scheme of things. Like we're a big player in the CBD space, but the category is still tiny. So it's, it's, we are committed to it, but we're also committed to building a business that is intended, you know, our mission is to heal people's skin. And so we have, you know, a lot of work to do on that front too, to make sure people understand the problem solution benefits of our formulas. But yeah, it's, it's, it's essential. So talk to me a little bit about that mission to heal people's skins. You talked about obviously St. James being this remarkable woman who is, who is healing women that were outcast by society back in France. But talk to me about some of the other things in terms of that mission beyond just, you know, selling more products or retail. Like talk to me about more about that mission and aspirational focus of, of the brand and the company. As women and men, we're all naturally, I think we tend towards the anxious side in general. We have a lot of stress in our lives and skin can be a very big stressor, especially if you have acne prone skin or redness, irritation in your skin, rosacea, eczema. And I think that that's where we started from. We're here to deliver formulas that are going to ease that skin stress. And so every product that we put out solves a particular skin problem in the major categories that we see. So our luxury beauty serum, which is our hero product, it's our crown jewel. It's the most award-winning product in CBD skincare in the world. It's just a really incredible formulation for redness and inflammation in the skin. It's packed. Every single ingredient in the formula has been known for centuries to reduce inflammation in the skin and heal wounds and be antiseptic and help balance the skin and be calming. So that's our crown jewel. And then we have a brightening vitamin C serum. We have an anti-aging retinol infused night cream. We have a hyaluronic acid hydrator daily moisturizer that's called hydrating petal cream. And we have, you know, we have a body serum that delivers incredible nutrients to your skin that you would normally reserve for your face. And so we really approach these categories from a perspective of here's the problem and here's how we come in and solve that problem for you with a very clean formulation that you can feel is safe and non-toxic and vegan and cruelty-free and very meticulously tested. So there's no heavy metals or pesticides or residual solvents in the formula, but it also is very texturally luxurious. Doesn't feel like some of the, you know, sort of kickback on clean is that the formulas don't feel as luxe as synthetic products. So our mission is to make them feel as luxe as anything you would find in the sort of non-clean space. And then the packaging, you know, you look at it on your vanity and it just makes you feel delightful. It makes you feel like you have this covetable little jewel that you turn to in your ritual to, to sort of add to your day. One of the things that really strikes me about you is just this, the ability to achieve work-life balance. Obviously you've mentioned just your three girls and your husband and just like, how have you gone about that? Because I think it's really inspiring to other entrepreneurs, other parents, or maybe just people that value work-life balance or have other commitments outside of their job in terms of parents and siblings, et cetera. Like, how have you gone about doing that? Because I think that's really remarkable in terms of standing up a, a brand in a brand new area while maintaining what's really near and dear to your heart. I had a friend before I launched St. Jane, when I was toying with the idea of even doing anything, 
I had a friend tell me, I, I kept saying how nervous I was about starting something because I knew how busy I'd be. And I'd left Sephora because I was chasing work-life balance and I didn't want to be on an airplane all the time. And this friend said to me, why don't you involve the girls in the journey? Why don't you make them a part of the entrepreneurial experience? And that was when something clicked and I gave myself permission to think like a founder. It was in that exact moment. And she's amazing. And I will always be so grateful to her. She's also an entrepreneur. She has an electric bike company called Blue Jay. And that moment for me really allowed me to think about you know, building this differently for myself. But I've always put the girls and Zach first in terms of they, I have only this short amount of time with the littles as they're little and as they are, you know, here and my responsibility is to them. And so I've always, always put them first. And I only travel when it's essential. And I try to get all of my work done before they come home or shortly thereafter. So I can spend time with them or I can pick them up or I can take them to sports. And that's just personally important to me. And it's how I've made the commitment to my family to, you know, I wouldn't say I do it all. I would say I do it all as best as I can. And sometimes there are some days when that, you know, gets executed better than others. And there are some days when I'm like, I just can't deal with work. I have to just spend time with the girls or I have to go on like an afternoon date night with date lunch with my husband, or I need, I just need some space. And I think for me being kind of an accomplishment junkie and somebody who's used to going very, very fast building in those kind of self protections has been what has saved me where I always have to think about what's my out, what's my ultimate balancer? How do I get back to feeling like a sane person and not somebody who's constantly chasing, you know, the entrepreneurial dream at the expense of blinking and seeing my kids all of a sudden grown up or, you know, we have a, we have a preteen who things are changing and I knew that was coming. And so I just wanted to make sure that that was, you know, very clear on my priority list that, that they came first, that Zach came first and the business I think has been, you know, more successful because of that, because it's quality, not quantity. And, you know, I'm constantly on and it's, you know, 20 hours a day, you're thinking about the business, but forcing those breaks has been my personal sanity savior. And I think it's been good for the kids to see me build the business. And it's been good for them to see that it's up and down. And it's not just, you know, what you put out there on social media or what you see presented in the best possible light that it's a roller coaster. And there are some days when it's very, very hard. And I think that's taught them a lot too. They're always like doodling their own little brand ideas. And I'm going to do this when I get when I grow up and it's cute. It's been good, but it is going very, very fast. Their childhood. And I still have a lot of anxiety about that where I'm like, we've got to slow down time and not let it go too fast. That's tough. I definitely uh, feel you in that same way with kids who are 10 and 12 and growing up so fast. So a preteen and yearning for independence and so forth. But I think it's interesting what you talked about just in terms of, because I think there's this perception, maybe misperception that you have to embrace the hustle mentality. You have to be working 20 hour days on your business to be successful as an entrepreneur. Clearly you are a counterpoint in terms of being able to achieve that work-life balance. And I'm sure it maybe looks neater on the surface, you know, <laughs> you know, I know for myself, try to balance between the work stuff and then going out and coaching little league baseball and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's interesting to think about those two different ways of, of achieving success, both, you know, the hustler mindset, but also more of what you've been able to accomplish. You have to be intentional about it. And for me, early 2021, and then the fall of 2021, I was actually getting migraines and I'd never had them my whole life. 
and they just sort of all of a sudden appeared. And it was another reminder to force the balance that if you let it, even if you think you're balancing things, you're, you could be like one of those, you know, ducks on the water where it looks super calm and smooth, but then underneath you've got your, you know, little feet going like crazy. And you don't want to have a reminder. You don't want something health wise to happen. You don't want something, you know, with your family to happen. You don't want a reminder. And so I'm constantly telling myself, like, how is this balance? How do you feel? Do you feel good? Are you exercising enough? Are you dedicating enough time to kids and special time? And how are you approaching all of this from a 360 perspective? I'm not great at meditating. My husband is, but I've been kind of forcing that or going for walks and in the middle of the day where you, you know, your head down and you're working like crazy. And all of a sudden you look up and you're like, I have not stood up in four hours. I need to go for a half hour walk and just clear my head. And I think that actually makes you more productive. It's not a natural thing when you're go, 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 and you're on a small team and building and hustling, but you have to do it. It is, I think it's pretty essential for mental health, for physical health, for the endurance. You're in a marathon. This is not a sprint. And you have to tell yourself that constantly. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think there's been more support for that that idea in terms of just whether it's, you know, live like a lion, you know, where you're in these sprints, these hunts, and then you're, and then you're chill, relaxing. But practically speaking, how do you go about doing that? Because I think for most people, it takes a heart attack or, you know, a stern warning from a physician or something to fall apart in your personal life. Like, is there anything you do to set up those guide rails, those, those early warning systems, if you will, just to know that you're perhaps a little bit out of balance or where you want to be? Yeah, for me, I, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse that I get physical warnings. So I do in the form of these like crazy migraines that started in 2021. So for me, I know that I have to pump the brakes if it's starting to get to be too crazy. And sleep is essential. So I'm one of those people who forces eight mm-hmm. hours or nine hours of sleep. I make myself sleep because I know I feel better. And I force exercise, even, even though it feels like such a luxury. I really think hit workouts for entrepreneurs are really important because they've been shown if you have anxiety, you know, in the hustle and you've got so many things happening throughout your day and entrepreneurs often feel, especially founders and CEOs, like you sort of feel like a ping pong ball because you're managing so many areas of the business. Hit workouts have been shown to kind of calm all of that chaos in your system. And so, you know, Barry's Bootcamp or Orange Theory or some of these like short high intensity workouts are really, really good, I think, for entrepreneurs. And I always encourage a lot of my friends who are entrepreneurs to incorporate them into the day. That plus walking for me are the two things that I think help me feel more balanced in terms of like throughout the day and exercise. But it's really, I mean, it's a combination of sleep, exercise, making sure you're eating nutrient rich foods and meals and not just like, you know, I'm the first to say I love an urban remedy bar instead of a lunch. But I feel so much better when I have a meal and I have those nutrients and protein that keeps me going. So it's a 360 approach. I would say, you know, my husband's a big advocate, like I said, of meditation. I get to it when I can, especially body scans. I think those can be so healing for you, especially when you're spinning and you're like, I just feel like I can't quite connect in with the big strategic things I need to focus on today. I feel like a ping pong ball. I think body scans just completely reset you. I don't know if you if you do them, but they're incredible. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of the the Calm app and the body scans are great. So just to just even whether it's middle of the day, start the day, end the day, just get your mind 
reset. So yeah, it may be a little woo-woo for many people, but you know, I've I've seen practical benefits. It's helpful to have people who are out there in the media, athletes, LeBron James. He's got a line of meditations on the Calm app, which is pretty cool too. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason. There's a lot of science behind it. It really does work. And I think it works for longevity. So yeah, those are kind of it. And then and then really it's about building in the time that lifts the spirit. For me, that's, you know, taking the kids to ice cream after school or going on date night with my husband or having a big dinner with friends or going away for the weekend. Those are essential to my personal sanity. I'm an extrovert and I get my happiest moments from being around other people. So that's how I manage it. So what's the future of St. Jane? What are you looking at in terms of the months and years ahead? We have so much blue sky ahead. There are some incredible launches coming up. We've got one next week that I'm really excited about. And I think the brand is we're growing at such a fun, exciting rate. That's been really rewarding for me because it's been so much hard work over the past three and a half years. And so seeing the revenue kind of start to match the effort has been neat. So we're going to be continuing to grow, continuing to launch products that really help the skin and bringing on more of a team. So we're hiring a couple of key functions, which is really just so exciting for me because we've been trying to grow and build with such a tiny team of amazing women, but we're, we're going to build that out a bit more and hopefully see some fruits of that labor. So 2022 is the, you know, gosh, we're already almost halfway through, but um, we've got some exciting things still in the balance of this year. And then next year, the same. We've got just some really exciting growth ahead, I hope. Exciting times for sure. So where can people go to find out more about St. Jane, connect with the brand, even pick up a few products? stjanebeauty.com is our website. You can also find us at Sephora, at Credo, Neiman Marcus, Revolve. And we're on Instagram at St. Jane Beauty is our handle. So yeah, come check us out. Fantastic. Well, hey, Casey, I know you're incredibly busy running a successful company, also juggling all the, uh, the, the family life responsibilities and all that. So I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me, Darren. Hope that was, hope that was fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks and see you all in the next episode.